Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits has two locations in Centennial and Highlands Ranch. These guys are locally owned and have a massive selection, carry our personal favorite Breckenridge brews, and offer delivery to your door. Download their app today for incredible deals and sign up for their loyalty program. If you're really lazy, get the booze delivered. Have beer delivered to your door. Always have the best offers. Look up on the app for deals of the day. You can request products to be ordered into the store. They have free tastings on Fridays from 3 to 6 p.m. and Saturdays from 1 to 4 p.m. If a big game is coming up, like maybe the Super Bowl a couple weeks ago, we got opening day before too long, lots of lots of liquor can be delivered to your house. You can go and pick them up. You want those big bulk orders for your party, Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits is where you need to go. So download their app today for incredible deals and sign up for their loyalty program. And go. Ball in the air, deep right center go. field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, watch it go Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. Nolan drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. I don't want to lose your love Welcome in to the DNVR Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. Remember to visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations or go online to mygreensolution.com. Whatever you do, use that promo code DNVR20. Going to get 20% off your entire purchase. We're going to jump into the show. I'm your host, Drew Creaseman, the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. Figured I would do little bit of a solo pod here. We are going to have a lot more coming with me and Patrick on all the time. And just as a scheduling note for everybody, those are going to start as consistently as I can. And this is 90% on me posting those at 6 a.m. So you know that you're kind of daily Rockies talk stuff. Anytime there's something extra, like right now, we'll jump on, maybe talk for 30 minutes about the few things that came out after Patrick and I recorded yesterday. Uh, the big one from a Rockies standpoint, is this report that maybe Wade Davis is is back in as closer. Now, let me begin with that before I get to the parallels between what just happened with Mel Tucker and, and Jeff Breidich, knowing that most people here might not even know or care about what's going on with the CU buffs. But I was not in the room for what Bud Black said about Wade Davis. I am reading tweets and reports from Nick Groak of The Athletic, who is a phenomenal reporter and a good guy. And often he and I, when we are both in the same room, have different interpretations of what the manager has said. When I read his report, I saw Nick Groke say one thing, that Davids is back in his closer and Scott Oberg is the setup man now. And that's kind of how he reported it. What when I read the actual quotes, I re, I saw this big caveat that Bud Black put on there that he often does, of in a perfect world. 
it's baseball. Not going to be a perfect world, is it? So what, but the way I read the exact quote from Bud Black, unless there was more, and again, wasn't in the room, if there was a kind of insinuation, if he gave a certain smile and a head nod, and Buddy does those things. You know, uh, so I, in the larger scheme here, I actually will, for the moment, you know, defer to Groke, but this has all of spring training to play out one way or the other. And Bud Black wouldn't have said in a perfect world if he wasn't leaving the door open for the possibility. If Wade Davis has a bad spring training, he's not going to be the Rockies' closer. Like, they're not going to do that. And so I want everyone to realize that that's what that sentence was in there for. On the flip side, now, let's get, we'll get to the financial thing in a minute. I know some of you are thinking, but the vesting option, and oh my God, but okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's get to that in a second. Let's just talk about the competitiveness of the ball club. Bud Black is absolutely right that in a perfect world, the Colorado Rockies have got a return of Wade Davis, who is capable enough to close. He has the most experience doing it. He has a ton of success doing it. If he returns to form and you can slot Scott over again as your setup man, and that's a legitimate outcome for your team because he's pitching well, that is a perfect world. That is the best case scenario. But again, baseball, very rarely see yourself a best case scenario. I think it's still very likely, and they'll have plenty of cloud cover to do this, to at the end of spring training, if he's not done well, if it turns out, you know, maybe it wasn't the baseball, maybe it wasn't entirely a mental thing about the year, maybe Wade Davis is just sharply declining, maybe he's done, they can, they'll know, if he's done, done, they'll know in spring training, and they're not going to trot him out there as the closer, I promise you that. Now, if he's okay, that's probably from a fan perspective, the worst case scenario. If Wade Davis comes out and he's passable in spring training and Oberg is also passable, or probably even worse, the worst case scenario for fans will be this. Davis is passable in spring training. Oberg is awesome, but they go with Davis as a way to kind of try to, you know, revitalize him. And then he has the same kind of terrible troubles in 2020 that he did in 2019. And you've got Oberg right there who you could have had the whole time. They can still make the switch again. And I will say, sometimes Bud Black gives us a hard time, like when we're asking, you know, who's going to be the starting pitcher on this day next week? He'll say things like, I don't want to give you a name and I'm not trying to be totally just, you know, battling with the media here hard-headed about it. It's because if I say... It's going to be Jeff Hoffman, and then Jeff has a bad outing in AAA, or he has a little thing, or somebody else uh, turns out, you know, they get shelled. Herman Marquez gets shelled in one inning, and I got to get him out of there uh, and use a, the bullpen a bunch one day, but that means another day my relievers are tired, and I can pitch Herman on short rest. So I throw him instead of Jeff Hoffman. Now all you guys are going to call me a liar, <laughs> right? And so... There is a difficult game there, and it's why they build in caveats. Like, in a perfect world, Wade Davis is the Rockies' closer, which is true. I still think that's an unlikely scenario because I think Scott Oberg is going to come out and shove and force the issue. Guys 
do that. But yes, the best case scenario is that they're both good. They're both at the back end. And honestly, from a statistical standpoint, it does not matter which one of those guys is your closer and which one is your fireman. They both need to be good unless the emergence of Jairo Diaz and or Carlos Estevez proves to be they're on a rocket ship to the top as well. You know, the competition, this is what I'll say. If these other guys are throwing lights out in spring training, Wade Davis, it's not going to be a problem for your baseball team. If he ends up getting the closer job because of his resume and he's bad again, they'll flip him out of there much faster. They've already shown a willingness to do it. He's going to be on a shorter leash than he was a year ago. They won't have that whole like, well, we expect him to get it back. We've never really seen him struggle this way before. They have seen him struggle this way before. So if he does again, I think it's a quick fix. I don't think whether Wade Davis is the closer on opening day or not, I do not believe the Colorado Rockies are going to put him into a position to be able to have as negative an impact next year as he did last year. If they do, they have fundamentally failed in numerous aspects of analyzing the game of baseball from an analytical, logical, and even sort of being aware of the general sentiment from the fan base and media perspective, which we know they've been really bad at, especially lately. But this... This would be this could be a disaster. So I get why people are freaking out. Davis really already, but again, check the language. Bud Black did not come out and say, no matter what happens, Wade Davis is our guy. He's our closer, which is probably more or less how he felt last year. Like there was no amount of terrible spring training Wade Davis could have had a year ago that was gonna lose him his job. Just that's just not how that works. But now it is. And Davis knows that. I promise you this. Wade Davis understands that if he shows up and looks bad, he's not just going to get it because he's had it. Let's address now the thing that I put aside a moment ago before sort of moving on uh, to other topics. There is a best case scenario and a worst case scenario as well when it comes to the contract. I don't have the exact number. I think it's another 15 million potentially for next year. Uh, if Wade Davis finishes 30 games for the Colorado Rockies in 2020. There is a Goldilocks middle ground area of hell for Rockies fans where he starts the season well enough because ending 30 games more or less means he's going to have to get 30 saves. Or if you think of it another way, 25 saves and five blown saves, which is... Not a great rate. So it'd be something like that, right? He's got 25 saves and five blown ones. Enough for the Rockies to think, keep him in there, but those five have been brutal. He finishes 30 games, and then he really falls apart. The Rockies are stuck with him for 2021 at the tune of $15 million, dramatically reducing the amount of salary relief that they were going to get next offseason. That is a worst-case scenario that it seems like is closer to being on the table than it was before, you know, this news. At the same time, I think that that's, again, it's unlikely 
that that plays out. There, there is a natural give and take when it comes to these types of incentives. If Wade Davis finishes 30 games this season, in fact, if he finishes 40 or 50 or 60, it's going to be because he's pitching well. Again, I'm yes, I understand that I am somebody who is willing to give the Colorado Rockies the benefit of the doubt when other people just absolutely are not, but I honestly I just don't see that as a deficit. Like even the worst run franchises in baseball and the Rockies are not one by the way. The Seattle Mariners haven't been to the postseason in 18 years. The Miami Marlins haven't been there in 13 or 15, something like that. I think it's 13 for the Padres in the same division. So I understand I'm willing to give, and, and some a lot of this is actually give, at this moment giving Bud Black the benefit of the doubt that if Wade Davis comes out and he's not good, he's not going to finish 30 games. The only way he reaches that milestone is if he really turns it around. And if he really turns it around, and he's a guy who can, you know, maybe challenge for his own franchise record in saves next year, allowing Oberg, Estevez, Diaz, and James Pazos and Ben Bowden and these guys to be the young fireballers who can go into the tough situations that arise at Coors Field in the 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th innings, that is the best case scenario for your club. And then having to pay him again next year might not be the worst thing in the world. Now he's got two out of three years where he's been a really good closer and that eight ERA from 2019 starts to look like a real aberration in a season where he couldn't get things right, especially if there are some changes to that damn baseball. I've said it many, many times that he's the guy in particular, he and Freeland, are the guys I think that that hurt the most. And so if it doesn't go his way, there has to be a quicker trigger. And I'll be right there. Look, I'm obviously putting you know, my analysis, sentiment, reputation on the line here as well because I'm saying if this would be a really bad mistake to make if they make Davis the closer, he's not good, and his contract vests. And I know why a lot of people just aren't willing to give the Rockies the benefit of the doubt. But I don't, I know they're aware of how bad that trifecta would be. I know they are. You only allow Wade Davis's contract to vest if he has gotten back to being a dominant closer which has happened at times. All right, take a little deep breath, have a little bit of a Breckenridge Brew Avalanche. Been drinking those with the games. They're, they're almost too easy to drink. You sort of fly through a, a six-pack when you're watching the Avs play. They've been on a hell of a run lately. That's been a lot of fun. In fact, I've got one sitting right here for those of you watching the live. The Breckenridge Brew Avalanche Amber Ale. It's a beautiful can. It's a beautiful drink. It's very, very tasty. I cannot recommend it highly enough. And so, uh, yeah, as, as you can see, it's no joke. I've got one right here, and it is empty. <laughs> and that is, and I, I enjoyed every sip of it as I do 
with every beer from Breckenridge Brewery. Uh, there's another cool thing I wanted to mention to you guys. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but we are covering the Raptors rugby team now, which is super, super cool. I, I've actually got a quick story. I've been to one uh, rugby game in my life. I'm trying to remember. It was Glendale, and I think it was my hometown Grand Junction, and they just got absolutely stomped. Uh, but it's okay. It was a whole lot of fun. Uh, live rugby is amazing. I was amazed by uh, the number of people who are willing to sit and, and talk with us and explain the game and the players and have fun. We're going to have a lot of opportunities to do that. Uh, so also the, the Raptors are going to be really, really good this year uh, from what our guy Colton has been telling us. So it's over at Infinity Park in Glendale, uh, just kind of east of Cherry Creek. Uh, if you search for the DNVR Raptors podcast right after this one, uh, you can learn a lot from it. I've been listening to Colton. I've been learning about the game. You know, I've been getting into the hockey thing this year, but it really is fun to, to learn a new sport and, and get um, kind of in on the ground floor of this growing industry, and, and rugby is one of those. So give Colton a follow. Make sure if you have any interest whatsoever, he's done a great job of breaking down rugby from the ground floor. All right, I've got <laughs> an analogy for you. So I, I saw a lot of people making comparisons between Mel Tucker and Jeff Breidich. And while the situations are very, very different, I understand. They're basically the two most, I'll, go, I'll use the word disliked people in Colorado sports right now, though obviously Mel Tucker is now no longer in Colorado sports. For those of you listening to this going, what are you talking about? The CU Buffs coach, this is the shortest version of it basically, made a ton of promises to a great recruiting class. It looked like they were basically going to completely turn the entire program around. All these guys and their families had been made promises uh, about them being together and them being this team. And Mel Tucker had even come out on Twitter after it had gone public that he'd interviewed with Michigan and said, I appreciate it, but I'm not taking that job. See you for life, basically, just was out. In fact, the day of the announcement that he's moving to Michigan, he was out talking to boosters. He was making radio appearances about how great the buffs are going to be. And so people felt, feel really stabbed in the back. And, you know, players, fans... And I think Rockies fans feel their pain. Whether you're listening, you might be a Rams fan listening to this or a rival school and your opinion is whatever, haha. This, But like, just on a human empathy level of being in love with a team and having someone who is the leader or a leader of that team come out and do something that, seems to lack a kind of basic high school level human integrity. Like look me in the eye and shake my hand and let's be respectful. And so that's the word uh, that first jumped into my mind when I saw it, which is of course the word that Nolan Arenado used to describe his GM and that's disrespectful. And I see this Mel Tucker situation as being extremely disrespectful, but I also think there's a weird comment in our 
society going on here. Because while whatever personal stuff has gone on between, I'll, I'll just use our first name, between Jeff and Nolan, uh, we all know different little pieces of that. Nobody knows the full story except for Jeff and Nolan. The rest of the ire about Jeff Breidich comes mostly from his philosophies, or I've called them strategies and gotten plenty of guff for that, which fair enough. Um, his ideas about how to run the Colorado Rockies, right? And I get that. And I actually do understand that the personal nature for fans has, has played a big role too, though I've always thought that was a little bit of a misread. But if, if your issue is, I think he's a smug guy, then again, I think there, there are a lot of comparisons there. But ultimately, you know, Jeff Breidich is a guy for whom there are a great number of fair critiques about how he has decided to run a baseball team that is arguably the most difficult and complicated one to run because of just so many unique elements of the Colorado Rockies. He's not sitting down with kids or high school parents and lying straight to their faces and making a commitment you know, it's one thing to say, I'm going to do what I think I can to build around you. And don't say, I don't feel like you're, you know, that can feel like you're not fulfilling your, your commitment. But that is, I'm sorry, it's just not the same thing as saying, I'm going to be there for you. And then you're, you're literally, you leave, you literally leave. And so uh, I think there is an interesting comment here about how much we really want our baseball team to not be a joke and so i i i understand that but i feel like just on a human level what mel tucker has done here is a lot worse um of course the the, the thing is you can kind of get away with that in the arena of professional sports if you're perceived to be a winner and that i mean but i, I it, it is a bottom line industry and that's why I wanted to put something else on everyone's table. And this may be the exact wrong time to be bringing this up, but it came to my attention, and so I'm bringing it to yours. I've been having a lot of these conversations back and forth with Patrick Lyons. And whether or not it's fair to say that Jeff Breidich is just as much of a, a, a failure as the Colorado Rockies. Like where, where do the historical failures of the 27 years of the Colorado Rockies franchise end and the specific failures of Jeff Breidich begin, right? How much of this is he responsible for? And I noticed something really interesting. The Rockies have, do I still have the number? Over their... their history about a 47% winning percentage. <laughs> it's a terrible sentence and I apologize. It's a 47%. The winningest manager in Colorado Rockies history is Clint Hurdle at 46%. Jeff Breidich 
as a GM, again, if we're just pointing at the scoreboard, is at about 52%. 50, it, it's, it's under 52%. It's between 51 and 52. I can't remember which way around. Let's, let's put it at 51. He's Now, let's all recognize, Like I get people want more than that. I get people want to be in the conversation all the time. But I do think it is fair to recognize, even if it be small modicums of progression. And maybe that's just because he happens to be here during the time of Nolan Arenado and Trevor Story. But there were, I mean, that that's just, you got you to gotta cross-apply that to other managers and other GMs and other four or five-year stretches in team history. And I get that Rocky's team history doesn't give you the highest bar to jump over. But one thing we do know about Rocky's history is, <laughs> this is just a tautological fact, right, is it's, it's the only place they have. It could be all the GMs and all of the managers and all of the players and the two different ownership groups that have been here are all just not good enough across the board. It could be that it's taken them a long time, longer than it should, to figure out their unique situation. But, and by the way, the the 47% Rockies history winning percentage includes Jeff Breidich pulling it up with his 51 over these last couple of years. So if you took him out of the equation, it's even lower. Now, how much of that is attributable to him? I don't know, but I do know that when other people just want to point straight to the scoreboard... It's trickier when it comes to Jeff Breidich than they think. It's not as easy as saying, let me uh, let me put it as simply as possible. He's been the most successful GM by winning percentage, which is the goal, right? Win baseball games. If everybody else is going to be measured, we're ultimately going to break it down to this. Been more successful than anybody else so far. He's figured it out better than anyone else. Now, that's not to say that someone else couldn't figure it out more or better or faster. Like I said, I thought I would bring that to people's attention. That you want to look at, I mean, pick a person. Larry Walker, Todd Helton, Dan O'Dowd, um, Troy Tulowitzki. Anyone who's been associated in a, a an important leadership role, Clint Hurdle, um, any of these other people, Jim Tracy, Don Baylor, the highest winning percentage belongs to Jeff Breidich. And if they break even next year, and I really think that they will, I think they're going to win at least 80 games. Like that, that I'm starting to feel more and more confident with as long as it does as long as the season doesn't become an episode of reality television and guys are like screaming and yelling and throwing things and the whole thing is falling apart in the first month and it's just a disaster they're gonna win in in my mind at least 80 games that's kind of where i'm at right now but and if they do that then 
or, or I guess eighty one. If they if they so if they win eighty two games and they have a plus five hundred record, then that means that Jeff Breidich will have delivered three out of four years of plus five hundred baseball, and there just isn't any of that, any anything close to that at any other four year stretch that you could cherry pick for anybody else. Worth remembering, I, I I think on some levels, it's it's also worth keeping in proper context. You know, it, it only means so much, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's um, I, and I'll be honest, that kind of surprised me as well. I believe his record as GM, uh, and I, I, again, I don't have the numbers right in front of me. Is three ninety eight and three eighty, so he's like eighteen games over five hundred since taking over as GM of the Colorado Rockies. Not great. But I think if you quizzed the average Rockies fan right now, <laughs> I don't think they'd guess 18 games over 500 in the tenure of Jeff Breidich. So all the off-field stuff still remains. And his answer to the, like, listen to the, this morning's podcast if you want to hear, you know, my dissatisfaction with his answer with his no comment. But I... I think there's a lot of evidence to suggest that when it comes to building a specific team to take advantage of or or overcome the disadvantages of Coors Field, he's done a better job than anybody else. And I and it doesn't even appear to be all that close. So, yeah, worth keeping in mind. Another thing worth keeping in mind is that Denver Rubber Company is the most reliable local partner for your long-term projects. Since 1972, Denver Rubber Company has provided the highest quality of products from custom die-cut gaskets, molded rubber, and custom contract manufacturing and custom hoses. The snow is here. It's staying around. It's out there right now. And Denver Rubber Company is your one-stop shop for anything snow plows. They're going to cut those blades to any length, slot them for mounting to meet your exact specifications. Denver Rubber Company custom makes all of it. You can purchase products for yourself and, of course, buy in bulk at a fantastic rate. They've been locally owned since 1972, so be sure to give them a call today for any of your snow plow needs, custom gaskets, hoses, etc. at 1-800-259-0010 or visit them at drcfirst.com slash dnvr and tell them who sent you. All right, so there aren't uh, a lot of extra little bits of news and notes yet that have crossed my, I'll call it a desk, today. Um, I'm sure there will be some within the next few hours as pitchers and catchers are having their meetings. The only other thing that I saw, again, from colleague and friend Nick Groke on Twitter today was a slow motion video of Kyle Freeland now pitching Sans, the... Uh, little stutter step, the little delay that he used to have that was very similar to a Jorge De La Rosa mechanic. Taking that out, it's a smooth delivery with no stop-start on the way up. Um, it looks pretty clean. It looked good to me. I saw one pitch. You're only going to, you know, the, the, the question when you change your delivery uh, is how repeatable is it for you? Can you repeat it? and not tip pitches because it's new. You got to make it a habit, second nature, muscle memory. And so 
that'll be the biggest thing, but the the one <laughs> so so watching one delivery and going, wow. Look, I mean he was it looked great. He, he's he's downhill, he's perfectly centered where he needs to be. It, it looked like his delivery, how it already was, but without that delay in there, it looked and felt like he just had a more stable foundation to deliver the baseball to a location he wants with more consistency. But that's if he can do it every time. I'm, I'm judging a guy's new delivery based on him throwing a baseball once. But if he does it like he did there, I, I, I think they've they've made a, a correct decision here. My issue, not issue, my the thing I've wondered about with changing Kyle Freeland's delivery has always been like, man, he, I mean, Delay was there in 17 when he was pretty good, and 18 when he was incredible. Uh, I'm not sure the the delay was the problem, but maybe the delay was uh, a barrier to solving the problem. Uh, or maybe it had become a problem when it wasn't before. I really, really am looking forward to talking to Kyle about this, and I'm, I'm sure he'll be open to talking about it, because... We talk about this a lot on the podcast, right? And I did it a minute ago. Where does the one thing end? Where where does the problem from just missing spots and not having certain things on pitches end? And it begin to be about the specific element of your delivery that before allowed you to pitch one of the best seasons in Colorado Rockies history. (laughs) And it was very similar to, as I mentioned before, what Jorge De La Rosa used to do. And he's the only guy in Colorado history, who has managed to pitch consistently better at Coors Field and just consistently well for more than like, you know, Ubaldo had like that three-year stretch where he was hotter than the surface of the sun and then he just tapered off after that. Um, you know, we'll see what John Gray can do. He's starting to get to the point now where you're you're looking at the years and like, oh, year five, year six, this guy's still pretty good. Um, but they haven't had, they just haven't had that. Um other, other than De La Rosa, and so part of you went, ooh, maybe there's something about a deceptive, funky delivery that can help overcome the thing. But at the same time, like you got to be able to throw your fastball up and into righties, and he just and he couldn't do that. So that's the most important thing. All the deception stuff and all the fun extra things you can do as a pitcher to set yourself apart. If you can't, if you're trying to throw a fastball up and into a dude, and you can't get it there, and it keeps coming in middle in, and they're turning on that at Coors Field. You're dead. Freeland's got to be able to locate his fastball up and into righties. I mean, really up in their sink, but still for a striker, just off the plate inside. He lost that last year, just totally lost that pitch. And if you go back and watch the wild card game in 2018, like he dominated a lineup of Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant and, and Javi Baez and on and on and on by coming up into their kitchen even though he doesn't have the strongest stuff in the world because it sets up all that junk he throws out and away. And that's why people rolling the ball over to second base or, or shortstop against Kyle Freeland isn't an accident. It's it's exactly by design. But last year, he wasn't able to do either of those things. So I think it'll be more about that. If the new delivery just lets him put the ball, like the kid knows how to pitch, and the stuff is better than it projected to be when he was in the minors 
And so he's got the smarts. He's got better stuff. He's got the pitches that move and the mix that I think is going to work. He starts locating again. You've got a very solid number three at the absolute worst. Just got to stay out of the middle of the plate, and which is obviously pitching 101, but it, I mean, it was that simple for him last year. Go back. You don't have to, I'll post an article or a graph on Twitter. It's not even worth it on it. But you look at where he got crushed. Middle, middle is a tough place to succeed. Adam and Juan Miguel both asking about thoughts on Ubaldo Jimenez. Uh, again, Patrick and I talked about on the, that on the most recent episode of the pod. But additionally, I'll just say, neat. I, you know, I'm, I've... I've got somewhere around here. In fact, I can see it from where I'm saying I've got to post it up on the wall just right over here. I'm not going to go get it because that would be awkward for everybody. But uh, And it's been hanging there since maybe the day after it happened. The newspaper press clipping of Ubaldo Jimenez. I believe it's from the Denver Post. And I believe the headline is Much Ado About Nothing. From when he uh, got the no-hitter in Atlanta against another good lineup, by the way. And I just think it's cool. I think it's highly unlikely that he pitches in Major League Baseball this season or, or, or probably ever again, though not impossible. And especially if, you know, there's just a little bit left in that arm and they're looking at him in a relief role and, it, you know, maybe he's a two-inning reliever guy or maybe he's a one-inning reliever guy and you know again you talk about somebody who actually was able to break the mold a little bit and find some success at Coors Field obviously you've got one 36 so he's not ancient um but no I, I I my advice to fans on this would be would be this let it be a fun story in spring training and let it continue to be a fun story if he's hanging out in AAA and if he gets called up let it be a fun story. If he's terrible, it, it happens. It's He hasn't pitched in two years. He's 36. Okay. If it goes the other way, have as much fun with it as you possibly can. This is a, I mean, this is, we did movie week last week. This is sports movie stuff, man. And Patrick and I were talking about how it really is going to be the case that certainly from a, a strikeout perspective, John Gray, Ibaldo Jimenez, and Herman Marquez are the best strikeout artists in Rockies history. And the idea that they could run all three of them out there at some point, you know, I, Jimenez is not going to start. I would be flabbergasted if he started. But the idea that actually John Gray could start a game and then in the seventh hand the ball to a rejuvenated, revitalized, suddenly fan-favorite again, Ubaldo Jimenez for a setup gig. Literally the first and second greatest strikeout artists in the history of the franchise passing the ball and the torch to one another. I mean, come on, that would just be awesome! But if that doesn't happen, I don't want you to be heartbroken. So thank you for asking. I think I'm going to wrap this one up here. I do hope everyone will have a chance to go and check out 
conversation Patrick and I had this morning. We're going to be doing more and more of those. We've got articles everywhere. So just make sure that you're subscribed to everything, following everybody on social media. You're continuing to be absolutely awesome. I promise you, I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark. This episode of the DNVR Rockies podcast was brought to you by The Green Solution. Located in Lakewood, they are the best damn family-owned dentist in the metro area, and they've, they are extreme Colorado sports fans just like all of us. So schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam. You'll receive a free Sonicare toothbrush. Green Mountain Dental treats you like family. They send you birthday cards. They give you a big smile when they walk in the door. And most importantly, they talk to you about your favorite Denver sports teams. They've been a longtime partner of ours. So show them some love. It's only 15 minutes from downtown Denver. The first step to good health is taking care of your teeth. So remember to get a cleaning x-ray and exam at Green Mountain Dental and receive a free Sonicare toothbrush today.